morning. Happy New Year. Good to see you this morning. Um, Let me open with a word of prayer. Lord God, as we come here uh, today to worship you, um, I pray that we'd hear from you, that what we hear is not my agendas, my words, but your words. Um, Pray that you open our hearts to what you have to say. In your name we pray. Amen. How many of you have ever looked around and asked yourself, where am I going or how did I get here? Um, Or you're in the middle of a situation and wonder how things got the way they are. Now, being New Year's, I want you to think of this in regards to New Year's resolutions. Now, personally, I'm not a resolution person. I don't make goals, so to speak, at the beginning of each year. But I do believe in, on a day-by-day, moment-by-moment process, becoming better in all areas of my life, whether it be within the ministry, as a father, as a coach, whatever that may be. I'm always striving to get better. So with that, I want to talk about this morning, you can think about it in terms of resolutions, you can think about it in terms of challenges or visions, but I want you to think about how we live and where we go for 2017, or at least challenge you to construct a framework within to think about how do you process where do you go and where do you want to be in 2017. Now, from the studies I looked at this week, people make resolutions in order to change the way things currently are or how they want to adjust the situation in their life. And oftentimes, they're not even sure how they got to where they are to make the changes they want to make. Um, We won't make plans to make those resolutions a possibility. We won't make plans so we can achieve those desired outcomes. Um, In my reading and study, there's four different things that they give to help us to achieve a resolution, and or four different things that are not done. And one of those is people don't make a plan. In order to be effective, you need to make a plan and understand how you arrived at where you are now. And being honest with ourselves and understanding how we got to where or whatever we want to change is important because it helps us to make a plan. So New Year's resolutions. According to the University of Scranton Psychology Department and their Journal of Clinical Psychology, they did research on December 11th of 2016. And here are the top 10 New Year's resolutions for this past year. Maybe. Number 10, spend more time with family. Number nine, fall in love. Number eight, help others in their dreams. Number seven, quit smoking. Number six, learn something exciting. Number five, stay fit and healthy. Number four, enjoy life to the fullest. And my understanding is from the research they've done, and I did not know that people study this stuff, um, number four is supposed to be the number one New Year's resolution across America for this, and that's enjoy life to the fullest. Number three, spend less and save more. Number one, getting organized, or number two, getting organized. And number one is probably number one every year, lose weight. How many of you made a New Year's resolution? Show of hands if you made a New Year's resolution. You are one of 45%. 45% of Americans will make a resolution every year. Um, how many of you have made them in the past but do not do it regularly? Okay. You're a part of 38% of America. Or sorry, I'm getting back, or 17% of America. 38% of Americans never make a resolution. Um, I guess to some degree I'm in that part. Now, if you're brave enough to raise your hand, how many of you have been successful? You're one of 8%. 
Um, according to the study, 8% of people are successful. 49% of people will see some measure of success. Now, that's kind of subjective, and I don't know what that necessarily means, but they'll see some measure of success towards their goal. 24% see no progress at all. And I thought this was interesting. The older you get, the less likely you are to be successful. So I don't know what that means. I don't know if that shows that we're just creatures of habit or if we just don't like change. But the older we get, the less likely we are to be successful. Our personal resolutions and goals usually have to do with the vision we have for where we want to be as a person. And I want to challenge you to think about where you are going in your relationship with Jesus. When you look at God's word and what he calls us to be, how does that measure up with where you are now? We need to think about what are you going to do to get there and what plans are you going to put in place to make it possible to achieve these goals. Pastor Greg last week challenged us with what are we going to do individually and as a church with the gift that is Jesus? What are we going to do with that gift when we unwrap it? And it challenged me in what I was thinking about for today and with new years and new opportunities. And when I think of a gift and I think of the new year, I do think of new opportunity. Um, how many of you as a kid completely wore out whatever gifts or toys you were given? Um, I know I had a Star Wars collection that would be the envy of most collectors. And as of this present time, I could probably take you, I think it's on a cousin's property now, it was my grandparents, into the woods and I can find burned, buried, and blown up Star Wars characters all over the place. Part of that problem was, it was a choice I made with that gift. Um, I'm sure my parents did not have in mind, they're here, you can ask them, um, that that is what would take place <laughs> with those Star Wars things. And when I, like I said, when I look at it today and see what that is and what I did and destroyed... Um, but unfortunately, oftentimes with gifts, our choices that we make aren't necessarily the best choices we could have made. Um, so think about that in comparison with the gift of Jesus and unwrapping that and the choices we make with what we do with him in our lives. How you act and respond to Jesus coming into this world and changing everything. What do you and I do with that gift? How are you going to move forward in your relationship with him? If you have your God's word with you this morning, if you turn with me to Acts chapter 2. And in Acts chapter 2, we're going to look at verses 42 through 47. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, and to the fellowship, and to the breaking of the bread, and the prayers. And all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. If you're not familiar with what's going on here in the book of Acts, and prior to this in the lives of those who were following Jesus, we're looking at another beginning here, the beginning of the church. Just prior to this, I'll give you a quick breakdown of what was going on and what the disciples had seen. But they see Jesus' ministry here on earth, and they see his power in action, and they hear his teaching. They see Jesus killed on a cross. They're witness to his raising from the dead. 
Jesus appears to his disciples after coming back from the dead. And one of the things that challenged me in that is if you notice, some of the disciples still doubted. He gave them then what I feel is a central mission statement to all of us in Matthew 28, 19 through 20. And I'm not going to get deep into this passage this morning, but it's central to what I'm going to share and why I'm going to share it. I know when making ministry decisions, when I make ministry decisions for Fuel, which is our student ministries, for our family ministries, I usually run things through the filter of what this verse says. Um, How are we being disciple-making disciples? How does what we do prepare us to be disciple-making disciples? Um, Matthew 28, 19 through 20. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I command you, and behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. Like I said, keep that in mind as I share throughout the rest of the morning. Um, To kind of paraphrase, well, then after this, Jesus ascends to heaven and promises he'll return and also send his Holy Spirit as a helper. The Mike Cortez paraphrase of all this. I've worked with you. I've walked with you. This is Jesus speaking, not me. I've worked with you. I've walked with you. I've trained you. Now it's your turn. We are part of the now it's your turn. How is Jesus working in you today? How is Jesus walking with you today? How is Jesus training you today? And where are you doing your part of this ministry? As I looked at this Acts 2 passage and broke it down into resolutions or challenges or vision or whatever you want to say, um, I looked at three things. They were devoted to the apostles' teaching. They were devoted to the fellowship. And they were devoted to the breaking of the bread and the prayers. And I think these will help us in our journey of working towards our mission here at GBC and where God leads us to go as individuals and as a church. In verse 42, they were devoted to the apostles' teaching. They were devoted to learning and practicing God's word. The resolution or challenge I have for you is live what I'm learning in God's word. Think about what would happen in all areas of our lives if each one of us caught the vision to live out what we find and read in God's word. To not be satisfied with where we are in our growth with him, but to desire more, to want more. For some of us, we need to begin doing this. And for others, we just need to keep doing what we're doing. As I study more and learn more, though, I realize that there's so much more in it that I can do. I believe we need to study God's word with a purpose and then purposely set out to do it. Now, it sounds pretty simple when you just say it, and it is pretty basic to our faith and what we do, but when you start taking scripture and processing what it means to live it out, it starts to get a little tougher. I think that is why the cost of living a Christian life is continually talked about in God's word. The New Testament does not make it sound easy. When you read the New Testament, it tells us it's going to be hard. It's going to be difficult. There are going to be challenges in front of us. That's why living it is difficult. Romans twelve eighteen. I'm going to give you a couple examples. If possible, as far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. How many of us have ever argued an argument just to be right? Not because we were right. I've been there. I know I've been there with that. Um, You just want to make your point. You don't really think about what your point is. You just want to make your point. I think many people today have lost the ability to agree or disagree and be be okay with that. 
The essential things that followers of Jesus need to believe and have unity on are talked about in Scripture. But you know, there is things that it's okay to have a difference of opinion on and still remain friends. Galatians 5, 22 through 23. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Now here's a group of markers that I go back to. Many of you may know this is a fruit of the Spirit. But these are a group of markers that I go back to in my personal life. And pray and ask God that I need to be continually strengthening and working on. Um, they're fruit. Fruit comes from what something is. The Holy Spirit generates these things in our lives. Um, here's a personal resolution, vision, um, challenge I have for myself in the fruit of the Spirit for 2017. And if you feel the need, you can come up and ask me how I'm doing on it. Gentleness. Um, depending on what has happened, and how many parents here use this model of discipline? Um, something happens in the house. You've already made up your mind who did it, and you've already punished them before finding out who did it. Um, I parent that way way too often. It doesn't matter what it was necessarily. If I have in my mind who did it, I'm not going to ask. I'm going to go lay down the punishment. The problem is that results in a lot of apologies from me later. Um, That's not gentleness coming out in me. As a father, I need to work on gentleness in my life. And then another area that I want to challenge you with is Ephesians four eleven through 12. And he gave us the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry for building up the body of Christ. Part of this idea of living what we're learning and practicing what is in God's word means that we are actively engaged in ministry. We're serving where God has called us to serve. And where he wants us to be. Now I know this passage is much deeper than this. But I want to take from this the idea of are you serving somewhere? And are you serving where you're gifted? I mentioned earlier fuel. And fuel is our student ministries here at GBC. And we talked about gifting a couple weeks ago. And we looked at three different areas in which you can look at to see if you're gifted. And I'm not saying it's a foolproof way of knowing whether you're gifted there. But look where you have an affinity. Where is something that you enjoy doing? Where have you received affirmation? What's something people have said that you're good at? And where do you have ability? What's something that you think you can do? And where those three intersect, oftentimes that may or may not be where you're gifted. And looking at serving in one of those areas, hearing from others that it's something you may be good at, helps us to know where we can be working and serving here. Um, One of the greatest things I think that feeds burnout in volunteers is when you're serving when you're not gifted. A couple weeks ago, I walked into one of our ministries and went up to someone who was helping in that room. And do you ever just know when someone doesn't want to be where they are and they just are not happy where they are? So I walked in and looked at them and I I said, do you like this? And they chuckled, no. And so one of the things that challenged me in that, it does not mean that they're not supposed to be serving there. God sometimes calls us to serve places that are uncomfortable and that stretches us and grows us. But also at the same time, I want to find somewhere for this person that they can serve joyfully and serve within their gifts and abilities. And that's one of the things I think our roles in leadership here at GBC is to do is to help you find places where you can serve and do so joyfully. Um, 
where can you serve here at GBC? Um, I don't know if you looked in the bulletin this week. I think I brought a copy. Um, you may look in the bulletin and see we're looking for ushers and greeters. If that's somewhere you think you can help. There may be areas not in the bulletin that we need help. You may not know about them, but I challenge you, come ask somebody. If you want to get involved, if you want to serve somewhere, come ask us. We'd be happy to help you find somewhere to serve here at GBC. I guarantee you, if God brought you here, he has something here for you to do. Resolution number two, or challenge number two. Connect and invest where God has called me in his church and his mission. Where we ended for number one kind of leads right into number two. When you see the church here at its birth in chapter two, they're committed to one another. You see in verse 45 and 46 that it works itself out in meeting the physical and spiritual needs of each other. Now, how we connect and how we invest are going to be different for each one of us. And I also believe we need to be careful not to compare how much one person does and where they are involved to ourselves or to one another. In Mark 12, 41 through 44, you see Jesus and he's sitting down with his disciples. And as he sat down opposite the treasury and watched the people putting money into the offering box, many rich people put in large sums. And a poor widow came and put in two small copper coins, which make a penny. And he called his disciples to him and said to them, Truly I say to you, this poor widow has put in more than all those who are contributing to the offering box. For they all contributed out of their abundance. But she, out of her poverty, has put in everything she had and all she had to live on. Our responsibility in what we give to the Lord in time finances, effort, and service is to give individually as he has called, equipped, and gifted us. We respond to him in obedience. We're to be God-honoring stewards of what he has given us. Now, what comes to mind when we use the word fellowship? I know um, when I grew up and in the atmosphere I grew up, um, the phrase fellowship usually always tied in with a meal. And it didn't matter what you did. If you served food and called it fellowship, it became spiritual. Um, Where the problem was, oftentimes things were not a whole lot deeper than the food that went on. Um, One of the areas within this idea of connecting and investing in our church and its mission I feel especially strong about is I want to be an encourager. And I think this ties hand in hand with with the fellowship. And I want to challenge you to think about how you can encourage one another here at GBC in the ministry, in the ministry that we do. Unfortunately, even for myself, I do not think I do a good enough job of telling people how much their service is appreciated. Um, I know I can do a better job with our volunteer staff of going up, saying thank you, sending them a card. Um, I want to be a better encourager, and I personally believe that I can do better at this, and I want to challenge you to do this. Um, I'm not saying people don't do this, but when was the last time you sent a card to a Sunday school teacher, a youth leader, someone at the welcome desk or an usher, or just said thank you for the work that they do? And not that people do ministry for a pat on the back, but I know it's encouraging for me just to simply get a card. I brought with me just this morning one I've received this past week, and I have a bunch of these on my bulletin board upstairs. And it's not because, yay, look at what I've done. But it reminds us that no matter what ministry you're doing here at GBC and what capacity, you're impacting lives and you're impacting lives for the Lord. 
And that pat on the back, that encouragement, when you study deeper the fellowship and the idea of fellowship here in Acts chapter 2, and when the people got together, part of that getting together was they got together with the intent to encourage one another in their ministry, to let them know, hey, I'm praying for you. Where can I support you? What can I do to help you in your ministry? So I want to see us at GBC with this idea of fellowship become a congregation that builds, supports, and encourages one another in different ways. Another part of being devoted to the fellowship is the value of being together. And this isn't just a value in the church service or in the times of corporate gathering. That's part of it, but not all of it. I want to look at, as a body of believers, and challenge you to grow spiritually in areas that hold us accountable, where we can pray for one another and reach one another and achieve what is God, God is calling us towards. Um, one of the things that I challenge my ministry team with, probably I think in December, one of the things I asked them to pray about for in 2017 is, as I notice when people hit hard times and things, instead of running to the church, they run from the church. And what causes that? And I don't have an answer for that. But why don't we run to the church as a body of believers with our problems, with our things and our needs? And there's some different things that, um, that I think contribute to that and help us. Um, I shared earlier about how when I was growing up, the fellowship wasn't much deeper than the food. Um, how do we cultivate deeper relationships that are centered on God's word and his grace? Um, I ask you to pray about that. This came to my heart in bits and pieces, and many of you know that small groups are one of those things, and I'm not going to lay out a small group plan here this morning for you or tell you we're going to add small groups immediately or anything, but small groups where you can get together and study God's word. And one of the things that I want you to do, would like you to pray about and think about, is find a couple people, find another person, guys, guys, girls, girls, that you can get together with and pray together to hold one another accountable. Be willing to be open and honest. That's going to be part of my next resolution. Um, Study together and then repeat. Not just a once get together, study God's word, pray, and move on. But repeat that. Someone you can be committed to. Someone you can be accountable to as we grow in our walk. God's word talks about that. Having others that we can share with, share our struggles, share our victories, share our weaknesses, and pray and grow together. So I ask you for this year and my second resolution um, to pray about that and pray about seeking people. And if it's something you need help with that you can't think of anyone, come see me. Come see Pastor Greg. We would love to help you out in that. Resolution or challenge number three. Make regular evaluations of my heart and my commitment to the Lord. There they were devoted to the breaking of the bread and to the prayers. So what do I mean by that? How do I get to this resolution uh, about being more honest in my commitment to the Lord from this passage? The breaking of the bread here in this passage is probably talking about both eating meals and taking the Lord's Supper together. Paul, when writing in Corinthians, had this to say to them about taking the Lord's Supper. And if you turn with me to 1 Corinthians eleven twenty-seven to 29, I think it's up front too. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and the blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body, eats and drinks judgment on himself. 
And I think Pastor Marvin does a wonderful job on reminding us when we come together at the Lord's table to take communion that we need to take some time to do some personal heart and soul searching. How regularly do you take inventory of the motives in your heart? So I was talking about in the last challenge, um, I have a couple of guys I get together with regularly for prayer and to study God's word and to challenge one another and how we're living out our faith. And one of the requests that I've shared with them, um, and I share probably every couple of months or so to keep praying about, is whether or not I'm clear on whether I'm seeking God's will to be done or Mike's will to be done. Um, I wrestle with in my planning, and I want to make sure that I spend a good amount of time in prayer about whether or not a direction or a decision that I'm making is God's will and direction, not mine. Um, I think it's a great idea that we spend time praying about that and think about it. Um, Sometimes I get lucky, and it is both. Sometimes God makes evident to me that, no, Mike, that's a direction you're wanting to go, not necessarily a direction I have. Sometimes he says, wait and slow down. Um, But we need to know what our heart motives are. I think of the excuses we make not to get involved in what God is calling us to do. How many times have you said, I don't have time? Is it that we don't have time? Or is something else more important to us? Is there something else that we hold up a higher value? We may say, I'm not gifted in an area. But is it really you're not gifted? Or is it that you don't want to be uncomfortable? You don't want to be stretched or challenged, or it takes more commitment than you're willing to put in. In a world where Walt Disney has taught us to follow our hearts, we need to be reminded that the Bible tells us the heart is deceitful above all things. Who can understand it? The tricky part about the whole self-examination thing with the heart is heart change and heart awareness can only come from the Lord. You and I can see fruit in actions, and we can see the result of heart change, but the Holy Spirit does the work. We need to seek him and his help in this for it to be effective. This is a day-by-day and a moment-by-moment decision. I'm going to call the worship team back up, but as I do that, um, I want to read for you a devotional. And if any of you are doing a Paul David Tripp devotional, I think this may have been this Wednesday's. New Year, New You. It's that time of year again, new year, new you. As the calendar flips from 2016 to 2017, many of us are examining what we don't like about our lives and hoping to stick to resolutions that change us for the better. Many advertisers are hoping that you'll buy into the new year, new you hype too. Is change important? Is commitment essential? Of course they are. We all need to grow and adapt to the circumstances of life. Our daily decisions are driven strongly by commitments we have made both to ourselves and to others. But the reality is that few individuals have made immediate and significant life changes because of a dramatic New Year's resolution. The fact of the matter is that human transformation is more of a mundane process. Changes typically take place in 10,000 little moments, not one life-altering event. The little moments of life are profoundly important precisely because they are the little moments. We live most of our existence in these mundane, everyday moments. For every huge moment we experience, 10,000 insignificant moments happen. The beautiful thing about the gospel of Jesus Christ is that the Lord offers grace for each of these little moments. The Bible doesn't say his mercies are new once a year. No, his mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Jesus is named Emmanuel, 
Not because he came to earth once, but because he makes you the place where he dwells every day. This means he is present and active in all the mundane moments of your daily life. In these small moments, he is delivering every redemptive promise he has made to you. In these unremarkable moments, he is working to rescue you and transform you into his likeness. By sovereign grace, your Lord will place you in 10,000 little moments that are designed to take you beyond your character, wisdom, and grace, so that you'll seek the help and hope that can only be found in him. In a lifelong process of change, he is undoing you and rebuilding you again, exactly what each one of us needs. Yes, you and I need to be committed to change in 2017, but not in a way that hopes for a big event of transformation. Instead, find joy in and be faithful to a day-by-day and step-by-step process of insight, confession, repentance, and faith. May 2017 be your best year yet, by grace alone and in Christ alone. God bless. Let's pray. Lord, um, just simply help us to see you in each moment and be looking for you in each moment. Challenge us to be more like you. In your name, amen.